Thank you. Well, thank you very much. You know, uh, there are special places on planet Earth, and I believe that in God's heart, every human being is a special place. And it's a great honor to, for all of us, it's a great honor for us to be used by God to be able to visit his special place. And so you need to understand that uh, this is not a less place than any other place on planet Earth. Yeah. Uh, and the value of every human being is one and only. That's the value. Uh, the value is not one in eight billion or one in countless numbers yet to come or have been. It's one and only. That's the price that was paid for every one of us. As I said last night, Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And I don't believe he was just talking about in heaven. I'm preparing a place for you. He was describing to his disciples who he was. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm, I'm leaving now. Don't let your heart be troubled. Because in my father's house, there are many mansions. And what was Jesus? He was a mansion. He was a spacious place of the presence of God. And he moved into the neighborhood so the neighborhood, neighborhood could be touched by the presence of God. And so that's who he is. That's who our God is. And so it's a, it's a privilege to be here. And I believe tonight that God's going to open up our hearts some more to be spacious places of him. I'm just going to go up here just simply so I can set this down and do a moment brief. And so uh, it, it's an honor. We're talking about all things new. All things new. And I like to spell the word new, N-O-W. The moment something is not now, it's not new. So Bonnie and I have been married 46 years, and what will give us, if we were to live another 46 years, that's, we will live another 46 years, just maybe not here. <laughs> but the secret to our relationship is a word called now. Behold, I make all things new. And so we can always return to our first love, but we can never return to a first experience. And we can thank God for that because you try to return to a first experience, it's a second or a third or a fourth or a 1,000 or 10,000. And after a while, things get boring when you do things over and over and over again, the same and expect a different result. So we need things to be new. So last night I talked about, you know, get your sap on, be like a tree, let your spirit be one with Holy Spirit, and then let your, your tree, let your soul, let the very core, all those rings that go up through your trunk and out your limbs and out your branches, let them be filled with your spirit that's been sanctified, being made holy by Holy Spirit within you, so that your branches, your limbs and your branches can do what they're intended to do. Be givers of life. That leaves come. Leaves give shade. Leaves give healing. Leaves are testimonies in your life that bring life to your world. They're not testimonies for you to be uh, to be just put it as like pressed memories in a book. They're leaves for the healing of nations. Your life that's coming off of you is for somebody else. And then you also have fruit. Some are apples, some are pears, some are figs, some are peaches, some are cherries, but there's something coming off of every one of us 
then make somebody else come alive. And so that's our destiny. Tonight, I'm talking about all things new, but I'm going to talk about the community of Christ. And I'm going to look at some verses in Revelation chapter 21, starting out in talking about this. Now, when God lives in the realm of eternity, and eternal life is not something that goes in a forward direction. It's something that goes in every direction. Because God is not the one who has no ending. He's also the one that has no beginning. Now, for us who are, who are finite, we can be defined. We are finite. We can be defined in a segment of time. We have a beginning. We have an ending. It's difficult for us to understand something that has no ending. But it would be even more bizarre for us to try to understand something that has no beginning. So you just have to say some things you are not created to understand in this realm. And you cannot possibly even scientifically understand it. But even the more you look into science, the more you discover things that cannot be possibly understood. Because you always have to come down to a question, where did it come from? Even if you have just one moment in time where everything happened, what caused that moment in time? And so God is, he's the alpha, he's the omega, he's the first, he's the last, he's the beginning, he's the ending. He himself has no beginning and he has no ending. But he did choose to take on the form of a beginning. The eternal word became Jesus. <laughs> he did that not for him. He did that for you and me. He became an eternal Adam. A last Adam. No need for another one ever again. An eternal Adam. An eternal Beginning that now knows no ending. So he became a human being so that we could become who we were always meant to be human beings. When Jesus came, he was the only human being on planet Earth. And you looked up all the men, all the women that were alive at the time that Jesus was born or any man or woman that was alive prior to when Jesus was born, there were a lot of human wannabes. And unfortunately, a lot of the human wannabes got confused in what it takes to be a being, and so they settled for doing. And they created systems that were systems of doing and tried to be defined by those systems. Even the one people of God, the, the Israelites, were formerly a man who was a Chaldean, an Assyrian, a Chaldean named Abram. He was born to a dad and a mom. Terah was his dad, and he had a mom, and they were Chaldeans. And Abram was born. But Abram in heaven was never known as Abram. In heaven, he was never known as Abram. He was never known as a Chaldean in heaven. In the heart of God, he was something that did not exist on planet Earth, a Hebrew. There were no Hebrews that got off the boat. 
when Noah and his boys beached on the top of the mountain and they came out and repopulated the earth, there were no Hebrews. No Hebrew existed. A Hebrew is a supernatural testimony, and it's never intended to be a natural testimony. It's someone who is born of God, but born of man. Okay? And it's not for an elite nation. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a holy people made of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And the, the difference is there's something from eternity that comes into that which looks temporary, and it sounds like, ha, ah. <laughs> ha, Abraham. Abraham, it's the sound of God. Okay. To be a human being, you have to find the ha. <laughs> Without the ha, you're a human want-to-be. And God loves human wannabes. He loves human wannabes. Why? They want to be. He loves human wannabes. He loves human doo-doos. He just knows you've got to get unstuck from the doing so that you can be a being. Now, in the old covenant system, when God gave the, through Moses, he brought a deliverer, Moses. Moses was a friend of God. And God was a friend of Moses before Moses was a friend of God. And God used Moses to deliver these ha, people from slavery. They had been in bondage for 430 years in Egypt. As Egyptian slaves. They were Israelite slaves in Egypt, but they really, they didn't think like ha people. <laughs> they thought like doo-doos. I'm not even sure they thought like wannabes anymore. Their pain caused them to cry out, help. And God heard that, help. <laughs> he heard their cry, but God wanted to do something for them that was more than what their hearts really wanted. God wants to do something for us tonight that is more than our hearts really want. Ah. God wants to do something for me. He wants to do something for you tonight that is more than what we want. He wants to do something in the Kootenays that is more than what we want. He wants to do something in Canada that's more than what we want. He wants to do something in, a, in the U.S. that's more than what we want. He wants to do something in the nations of Africa and in the European nations, West and East. He wants to do something in the South Americas, the Central Americas, the Mexico. He wants to do something in the nations that's more than what we want. And he sees it from the realm of eternity. He doesn't see it from the realm of what to do. He sees it from the realm of being. Okay, so... God gives to these people, these Israelites who came out of bondage, he gives them a Torah temple system. He gives them a law, the Torah. When the Bible talks about the law, it's not talking about Ten Commandments. When it says, if you keep the law, he's not referring about Ten Commandments, although the Ten Commandments sum it up. To understand what the law is, it's the first five books of your Bible, the Torah, the, the first, the Pentateuch, we would call it in, in our Gentile, it's, it's simply the first five books. You know? and, and what is it? It's the story of God and man as God says it. <laughs> now, 
It's the story of God and humanity. It's not the story of God and Israelites is in a natural nation. It's the story of God and man as what he wants to do with all the nations. And it paints a picture. It's a shadow of a good thing to come. Now, shadow of a good thing. Earlier, the clouds came up, but earlier the sun was really shining. And man, you can see shadows around trees. There's lots of shadows. Now, the shadow is a real shadow. But let's just suppose, let's all just pretend that all people, and we'll say all Canadians, all Kootenians, I don't know what you call somebody from the Kootenians. <laughs> we'll, we'll lump all the, the cities, all the areas together. We'll say all Kootenians <laughs> walk with their heads down. Okay, so they only see a, a flat earth. They see what's underneath them. So we'll include all Bellahamians, since I'll include myself. And I'm from Bellingham. So a Bellahamian, <laughs> yeah, Americonian, no, an American. So, uh, but you know, you're American too. You're, it's all North American. But I'm U.S., you're Canada. But <laughs> we're North America, you're North North America, which means you're slightly colder than us. But anyway. So anyway, let's say we, we walk looking down and, and we see this thing called the shadow of a tree. Well, I can see my own shadow right there. Look at I'm looking down and look at that thing. Look, that, that is a real shadow right there. I mean, you don't have such a clear one because I'm like right under there. must be light right here because there's a shadow there. Now, that shadow says I exist. Only thing it says, says I exist. It says there's something higher than that that's real, that's causing that to be. So all of the, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of your Bible, is the story as God sees it. It's not a science book. It's a covenant book. And it describes, there were no reporters present at the time. You know, there was no videographers. Thank you. I'm <laughs> glad that would have really messed it up. There was nobody writing down the story. No, God spoke to Moses long after this reality, and he gives Moses the description of uh, in the beginning. In the beginning, the earth was formless, void, and dark. Now, I have verses in Scripture that elude that there's possible something before that, because Jeremiah, the prophet, he taps into the Spirit. In Jeremiah, I believe it's chapter uh, 10, verse 26, somewhere in there, and he says that, I looked, I beheld, Jeremiah the prophet's trying to speak. He's trying to speak to the Israelite people, trying to speak to his people, saying, you need to listen to God. Hey, 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 you need to listen as God does things. Hey, hey, listen up. You need to listen to me. You need to listen to what God said, because God can, God can do stuff. Okay? That's what he's trying to appeal to them. He's trying to say, come to God, come to God, come here, come, 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 hey, Return, come back to God, come to God, listen. That's what the prophet's appealing. That's what he in his tears is trying to say to people that God loves. And then he says, I looked, I beheld, and the and there the earth was formless, void, and dark, and all and there the birds of the air, all the birds of the air had fled, and there was no man. Whoa, what is that, Jeremiah? What do you would you tap into there? Now if Jeremiah were to talk more about that, he would have to tell you what I just said is what that was about is none 
of your business. Because the only reason he said it was, I looked and God had destroyed the communities. He's simply saying that there, God has dealt with stuff before. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with, well, was there stuff before? What was that stuff about? It's none of my business. What is my business? My business is an intimate, personal relationship with the one who loves me. That's what the story is. <laughs> so Jeremiah was simply tapped into eternity. I only said that to tell you God has a bigger picture than us. <laughs> and he doesn't measure his story by our story. Our story is measured by his story. Now let's say that a little more bluntly. When it comes to God's history, his history is not measured by our history. Our history is defined by his history. Okay, now let's break that back down. His story works in English. His story is not measured by my story, but my story is measured by his story. So I need his story more than my story. So God, when he brings these children of Israel who are supposed to have the ha, supposed to have the sound of God in their name, because that's what Abraham, Abraham, Abraham got. He received the sound of God in his name, and he was transformed from a Chaldean to a Hebrew. These people who now had been in slavery for 430 years, that they they don't get it because they've, they've been so busy making bricks. I think they think that making bricks is what you do. And so, so God then, he gives them a deliverer, and that deliverer takes them, and he's going to take them into the promised land, but they're too fearful of what's in the promised land because they don't realize that the one who's with them is bigger than anything that's in the promised land. And so they see the land is terrible because it's got giants. The, the land devours its inhabitants, which is a ludicrous statement. How can the land devour its inhabitants when all its inhabitants are huge? It seems like the land does a body good. Because everybody that lived in the land was the giant. So to say the land devours its inhabitants is ridiculous. It doesn't devour its inhabitants. It makes them huge. However, there's something better than the land. And that's heaven on earth. That's God in your life is bigger than any biggest thing on earth. So the giants were grasshoppers in the sight of God. But the people saw the, themselves as grasshoppers in the sight of the giants. Now, God was trying to illustrate something to them. Now, he, he didn't allow them to go into that promised land at that moment they had to wander in the wilderness now for 40 years and God didn't take the ites out he says I'm going to leave those in there so that you'll know how to war you'll know what love is really <laughs> saying I want to drink love out of you and and all that resistance will be your prey p-r-e-y okay we know how to pray but we don't know how to p-r-e-y we think that enemies are out to destroy us, and we don't understand enemies are our food. Why? They make us grow up. 
What does that mean? They don't make us more powerful than our enemy. They make us more dependent upon our friend God. So our enemies help us become big. And we don't become big in the flesh. We become big because of the one who's in our lives. So now, when, when they ended up then in the wilderness for 40 years, they were given a whole system an administration of law, Torah, which included Ten Commandments, and they were given a tabernacle culture. Everything was centered around the, the tabernacle. And so basic units of the tabernacle looked like this. You were given Passover. You were given Pentecost. You were given tabernacles. Then you were given a lot of other things that were... Offerings and sacrifices that God didn't want. They speak of levels of relationship, different things. I'm, I'm not going to go into all the details of that. I'm simply going to say that everything that was a shadow was a shadow of something really good. But the shadow itself was dead. If I kiss that shadow, it tastes like floor. <laughs> Kiss the shadow, it tastes like dirt. Why? It is. It does not have a purpose of changing you. Its only purpose is to tell you the one who loves you is real. And you need to find him. Well, I often say this story, if we go out in the sunshine, let's say when the when the, a little later in the summer, and you know, you've got all this fruit that goes on. There's fruit that happens around here. The Okanagan's not too far away. Lots of fruit will happen. So we can go to where there's fruit trees, and we can we can let's say we find a, a major supernatural fruit tree that's bigger than anything we've ever seen. It's got bigger fruit on it than we've ever seen. Different kinds of fruit, it's more juicy, more flavorful. I don't even know what it is. It's an amazing tree. But we, we saw a shadow of it earlier. We didn't know what it was, but then God made it possible for us to look up. He even made it possible for us to come up. And we ended up in the tree. <laughs> oh, man, now we're in this tree. We're, we're in, we, we are in the tree. And oh, my goodness. Oh, oh what was that? Oh, what, that, that, what's that smell? It doesn't smell like dirt. <laughs> oh. What's that noise? Oh, did you hear that? The wind blowing through the leaves. Awesome. The sun shining through the leaves. The, oh, look at the very the variegations, the variations, the, the, the dimensions of the leaves. Oh and, and it, oh, and then you bump into some fruit. You touch it. Oh, it's a little squishy. It, 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 it's not hard like a rock. It, it's a little squishy. Oh, my goodness. My fingers went right through. It's, it's dripping with juice. It, I take it. I bite it. Oh, it just ran down my cheeks. And it was just, oh, my eyes lit up the moment I ate this. And I'm experiencing Jesus. I'm experiencing the tree of life. I'm experiencing the fruit. Now, I'm up there, and it's so big, I can hardly get around this thing. And I look back down. I look back down because I still feel in the ground, in the earth as well. And I look back down, and I'm looking at the shadow 
and I realize that what I'm really looking at, okay, I'm just, oh, look at it. And I, and I say, I'm reading scripture, and I say, what's that over there? I look at the shadow, and I realize I'm in this part of the tree, but what's that over there? I see some shape, I see some shape on the ground that doesn't match where I am in the tree, and it, it makes me curious. I think, oh, there's more. Same thing happens when we read scripture. See, scripture's not our teacher. Holy Spirit's our teacher. Holy Spirit, the person. And I, I try not to say the Holy Spirit, just like Smokey is not Smokey the Bear. He's Smokey Bear. <laughs> Surely you live in the forest. You know about Smokey Bear. And people have been calling him Smokey the Bear. And this is Ted the Hanson. <laughs> oh, did the Ted Hanson come? No, Ted came. So I like to say Holy Spirit is Holy Spirit. Jesus is Jesus and Father is Father. Okay, now. So I look back, I, I'm reading scripture, I see the shadow, and what does it do? It invites me. Every revelation from God is an invitation to have an encounter with God so that you'll be transformed by God and become something of that encounter. So I read and I see forgiveness. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm in this part of the tree. What's that? It's forgiveness. And so now that's an invitation for me to crawl up in the tree a little farther. To get to another place in Christ I haven't been before. To, to, to connect to his heart in a place I haven't seen before. To somehow get out on the, on the limb here. He likes this, by the way. To get, to get out on the limb to experience him more. And when I experience forgiveness, which is him, something happens. I become forgiveness. It's amazing. Now, we're talking about, behold, all things new. All things new. Things are new in the tree, but on the ground, everything's the same. It says there is a tree. And new things are not discovered on the ground. New things are discovered in the tree. So if I want new things, I've got to be in the tree. In the shadow, God gave the children of Israel these feasts. They interpreted all the feasts as solemn ceremonies and religious acts. And every one of them was a shadow of a feast. Every one of them was a shadow of a feast. Let's even take an offering, a burnt offering. You know what a burnt offering is? Hi. Whoa, here I am. Hey, whoa, here I am. Oh, I, I present my body a living sacrifice. Why? It's holy. It's acceptable. It's my reasonable service. It's my spiritual worship. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Here I am. That's a burnt offering. What's a sacrifice? Oh, I love you, God. I can't help but love you. You love me so much. I'll, I'll do for you. I've got faith towards you. I, I don't just believe in you. I believe you. I believe you. What? What? Yeah, I'll do that. That's a sacrifice. 
It's a level of relationship. It's meant to be a feast. It's meant to be a celebration. Let's just take tithe for a second. Tithe, tithe is not money. Tithe is everything. And what is it? It's not giving anything. It's responding to the one who's given you something. He gives you bread and wine. And he, the, first, the first mention of tithe is when Abram, before he gets the ah in his name, he, he frees his nephew Lot from, and he gets Sodom's goods that have been stolen by these other kings. And he gets his nephew Lot and he's returning home. And he, this, this, Melchizedek guy meets him. King of kings, king of peace, king of righteousness. This, this, he has no earthly father, no earthly mother. It's Christ in flesh. He, he meets Abram on the road and he gives him bread and wine. Whoa, 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 whoa. And Abram, it, it doesn't say this in the scripture. You have to, you have to read it carefully. It's like Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. Because this is what, what Abram does. He does what Melchizedek just did. Melchizedek just gave him bread and wine. Where did Melchizedek get the bread and where did he get the wine? That bread and wine came from heaven. Bread is what changes the, your internal character and wine is what people see as your external testimony. Okay? If you want to know how it works, let's just drink a whole bunch of wine and see if you act differently. Now, God's wine is different than the wine that leads to death. But if you are drinking of the Holy Spirit, then we should be able to see an outward testimony in your life. You at least are bold. <laughs> you have a testimony. If you've been eating the bread of life, then something's happening inside of you to change your character, your nature, and your way. So Melchizedek gives some bread and wine to Abram, and Abram responds by taking a tenth of the goods that he has and he gives it <laughs> to Melchizedek. You rascal, you. I know what you just did. You rascal. You rascal, God. I know what you just did. You just gave me a gratuity in a judgment of love toward me. Ten, by the way, is a prophetic symbol of a judgment of love. It's judgment of love. The devil does judgments of death. God's judgments are always judgments of love. <laughs> he makes a judgment of love toward this Abram character because Melchizedek knows, oh, his name's not Abram. <laughs> he thinks his name is Abram. <laughs> he thinks he's the father of a nation. <laughs> oh, my. He, he thinks he's Abram. <laughs> Oh my goodness, yeah, that's that hot Abraham guy, father of many nations. Uh, so he gives him some father of many nation bread and wine. Just a taste, just a judgment of love. He just gives him a gratuity. So Abram goes, You, I'm adding words, I'm not lying to you though. I'm telling you. <laughs> He grabs a gratuity of what he's got and throws it toward Melchizedek. You rascal, I don't want just 10%. I want all that you have, sir, because you know who I am. I don't. So I need all of the bread and all of the wine that comes from heaven to cause me to become who you say I am for the glory of your name. So he gives him a tithe. He gives him a response. He responds. 
He responds to the giver. So a tithe level relationship, you can do it with your money, but it's not, it's, it's, it's a relationship. It's with everything in your life. You understand that he gives you judgments of love that are like little gratuity. Holy Spirits are gratuity. Do you spill over with Holy Spirit? That was my voice, by the way. <laughs> Do you release gratuities of your stuff? Not because you want 90% of your stuff blessed. I never give 10% so he'll bless my 90%. My, my 90% won't do squat. Can't, my 90% cannot do what God's called me to do. Impossible. I don't care. If I, if I had $10 million, 90% of $10 million wouldn't be enough to, for me to do what God's called me to do. Because if I had $10 million, he'd be expecting me to do a whole lot more in other ways. <laughs> so I don't have enough stuff for him to bless. But he's got 100% that's already blessed of what I need for me to be who he says I am in this world. Because I am not my own. And I don't just belong to Jesus. I belong to the nations. <laughs> I belong to his sons and his daughters and so do you. Now all I'm saying is in this administration of the shadow of the good thing to come. The interpretation of the Israelites was wrong. They interpreted that God is God. And they missed that he's daddy. God is not who God is. That's what he is. Who he is. His father. Who happens to do God stuff. I used to be a carpenter when my boys were little. I was a general contractor. But a general contractor was not who I was. It's what I did. So my kids would never go, oh, have you met our general contractor? <laughs> well, we love our general contractor. Our general contractor brings food home. We have so much fun. We play games with our general contractor. Have you met our general contractor? Oh, a great general contractor. I mean, they run to the door when I come home. Oh, general contractor. Oh, we love you, oh, carpenter. Oh, great construction man. You're so wonderful. We love you. So that's just something I did is general contracting stuff. God does God stuff. But who he is is he's father. He's our daddy. He's the one who loves us. He's our friend. And he does his God stuff because he's our father. Huh. Uh, hold on. A few weeks ago, I was in the middle of the night. Sometimes God wakes me up in the middle of a dream or in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> and he'll surprise me with a blindsided thought. So I give you blindsided, you know, blindsided thoughts. That's because he gives them to me first. But... <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night and hearing that phrase, all things happen for a purpose. Mm. I hear this phrase and, and I'm having a conversation with myself, a, a debate. Uh, and I'm being the voice of the Holy Spirit to me. And I'm saying, oh, really? All things happen for a purpose. I've heard that statement a lot. And God says to me, he says, I'm sovereign 
in my gifting. But my nature is relationship. My nature is love. So sovereignty, my sovereignty doesn't define my love. My love defines my sovereignty. I can do sovereign stuff. I would rather not do sovereign stuff. I would rather do kiss me stuff. I would rather do partnership stuff. I would rather tell you it can happen. Now you know it can happen. And I would not want to force it to happen ever again. I just would want you to boldly, freely come and receive what you already know. And then he proceeded to tell me, you know, everything happens. You ready? Everything happens for a purpose. But most things don't happen for my purpose. But I can turn all things toward my purpose. It says, all things work together for good to those who love God to the called according to his purpose. Which means if I'm living for my own purpose, I can't expect everything to work out together for good. But if I'm willing to let the one who loves me partner with me and I partner with him, there's not a single thing in this world, not a mistake I can make, not a mistake that anyone else can make, Nothing any thief can do to me. Nothing anyone can do to me that cannot be turned for good because I've chosen to partner with him for his purpose. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Because we blame God for a lot of stuff. Well, everything happens for a purpose. Well, it does happen for a purpose, but most things in the world are not for God's purpose, but all things in the world can be for God. Otherwise, you're going to tell me, well, it was the will of God that so-and-so was raped. It was not the will of God. But God turns it into his will when he goes and he visits that place. And he takes a very bad thing and he turns it toward a testimony of his love. Now, I don't want to be like the Israelites in the Old Covenant that interpret God through the filter of God. Why did they interpret him through that filter? Because they were Egyptian slaves with taskmasters. And they had never experienced freedom. So when the love of God came to give them a Torah temple reality that was really meant to be a testimony of what he wanted to do for all nations in an intimate way of a people who were kings and priests unto God. When he came to do that, they interpreted his words to them through the filter of a master. And they became slaves with the intent to finally arrive and make slaves of others. Whatever you perceive God to be is what you will become. If you believe that God is an angry God, you will become an angry person. If you believe that God hates the world, you will hate the world. If you believe that God is in control of every little thing, 
you will want to be in control of every little thing. <laughs> See, I, I, in reading my Bible, there's certain things like, you know, there's things that are not in the Bible. This is, this is almost a rabbit trail that's not because I'm trying to make a point. I used to say the life is in the blood. The Bible doesn't say that. It says the life of the flesh is in the blood. It doesn't say the life is in the blood. Human beings don't find their life in the blood. Human beings find their life in the Holy Spirit. That's where they find their life. Jesus came to pour out every drop of the life of the flesh to give you every drop of the life of the Spirit. The body of flesh gets its life from the blood. But the body of Christ gets its life from the Spirit because of the blood. So the life is not in the blood. The life is in the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus that you made it possible for me to drink of every aspect, every drop of Holy Spirit. And you are my Lord, you are my wisdom, my understanding, my counsel, my might, my knowing, and my awe. And you're changing me because I am not a body of flesh and blood and part of a body of flesh and bone. All things are new. I release anyone who has ever made a judgment of me according to the flesh, and I say, Father, forgive them. They didn't understand. And I ask anyone, if I've ever made a judgment of you according to the flesh, help me, Jesus. Please forgive me because we are in the heart of God, sons and daughters of God and human beings. I judge no one according to the flesh. That's not a word for me toward believers. That's me toward all human beings. Second Corinthians 5, 7, we're new creations. Because of that, we judge no one we judge what? We judge no one according to the flesh, except for the people in the world. We judge them according to the flesh because they're, they're, they're less than no one. No, no, we, we, we judge no one according to the flesh. We don't even judge Jesus according to the flesh. Whoa, 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 wait a minute here. I don't even get to judge a perfect one according to the flesh anymore. No, no, no. As a matter of fact, he's made us ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation imploring and pleading with those that don't have a clue, be reconciled to him. Come on. You're not judged according to the flesh anymore. Oh. Yeah, but yeah, but they're sinners. That's called, they're disconnected. So what am I going to do? I'm going to say, shame on you for being disconnected. You disconnected person. You be connected. Shame on you for being disconnected. You're going to go, you're going to go to the place of total disconnection. You disconnected, you sinner, you. <laughs> oh, I want to say, come on. Let me show you what being connected looks like. Come on, let's walk together. Let, let's, let's treat all people 
as believers, even though they don't believe, so that they can be invited to believe. Can I give you a good altar call? Here you go. I'm going to give you a good altar call. If you don't believe in Jesus, now I'm going to post this podcast. I'll post it on the internet. Somebody will be able to hear it. If you hear this, you're listening to this, you don't know Jesus. I've got good news for you. He knows you. Okay? So now, if you don't believe in Jesus, fine. I'm not asking you to believe in him. But I'm going to ask you, challenge you, would you find somebody who knows Jesus? I'm not talking about somebody who, who just tries to condemn you or shame you with, with scripture or word. I'm just find somebody who loves Jesus. Can you do that? Would you would you follow them around and watch? And just see if God's good. Would you make that commitment to find somebody who loves Jesus? <laughs> who loves Jesus? It's obvious because you feel good when you're around them and they love Jesus. Would you follow them and would you? Just consider that what they're believing might be good. Then I'll do a second appeal. I'll say, you know, if you've been doing that, if you've been following somebody that knows Jesus, by now you should have enough evidence to know it's pretty good. Would you consider believing in him? You might want to believe in him. He's really good. I mean, you've got enough evidence. Now you've seen what he can do. You should believe in him. Would you do that? Could you believe in him? Now, all I'm asking you is believe in him. You don't even have to do what he says. Just believe in him. Okay? Now, I'll do a third appeal. If for all of you who, who followed him, you believed in him, and, and he's been talking to you, and you haven't been listening, and your house has been falling down, it all messed up. I mean, your relationships are messed up. Decisions, you've made a lot of stupid decisions, and you believe in him. Would you consider now listening to what he says and respond to him. Could you do that? Could you, make, could you make a commitment tonight to practice responding? Now, he doesn't love you any less for not responding to him. You're just not loving yourself for not responding to him. So, so good, you know he's good. You know he talks to you. You know that because after, you didn't realize it, but then afterwards you said, oops, you did say something about that when it all fell apart. Now, and he's been faithful to be with you trying to put stuff back together. He's not condemning you, shaming you. It's totally unfair. He should have an easy life, but he has to move into your neighborhood over and over again and help you. <laughs> and he loves it. He doesn't mind doing it. But would you consider responding to him? Okay. Now, <laughs> Old Covenant was a shadow of the good thing. If you didn't know God, if you weren't part of the Torah temple system, then you were you were uh, wannabes who were groping to find God. You made stuff out of wood. You made stuff out of stone. Because God put it in your heart to say there is a God and he's good. And your heart said there is a God. Your conscience, your human spirit, your heart said there is a God. He must be good. Like me, I was a druggie. I, I, I sold drugs. I used drugs. And then Holy Spirit started convicting me. And I thought, I'm really hurting people. I really shouldn't sell drugs anymore. Now, I wasn't considering the thought I shouldn't use drugs anymore. <laughs> I was only considering considering the thought I shouldn't sell drugs anymore because that's hurting people. Okay. Now, what was that? It was my conscience telling me there is a God and he's good. <laughs> so he was getting through to me already. 
Nobody was telling me, oh, you're a sinner. I mean, you don't have to tell a sinner they're a sinner. Honestly, you don't. They know. How do they know? They can't get no satisfaction. That's how they know. <laughs> Mick sang about it. Remember? I can't get no. Uh-uh. You know, I try. And I try. And, you know, even other ones. So, but you had it inside of you to know that there is a God of human conscience. And so your administration of heaven for someone who didn't have any clue about God was your human spirit tells you there is a God. It can't change you, but it tells you there is a God. Now, you would twist that. You say there is a God, but I live in a bad world, so maybe he's bad. Let's do something quick before he kills us. That kind of stupid thinking comes out of that. Or if you had all of the, the Torah, you had the principles, patterns, values, the judgments, commands, the statutes that revealed to you the nature, the character of God, what he's like, how wonderful he is, how awesome he is. You had all that information, but you didn't know how to interpret it. But you had that information. The only thing that information could do is tell you there is a God and you need him. And the only thing that the human conscience could tell you is there is a God and you need him. Neither of those things could make things new. Now, Revelation 21. It, I'm almost to it. First of all, the word apocalypse is a wonderful word. The church screwed it all up. It means what was hidden is not hidden anymore. It's an absolutely wonderful word. Peter says, a grace come to you at a, an apocalypse of Jesus Christ, at a revelation of Jesus Christ. You read it in your English Bible, it's at a revelation of Jesus Christ. And you never, I pray that his grace will come to you in a revelation of Jesus Christ. You read those words of Peter and you never think, ooh, doom, gloom, destruction. He's going to destroy us. There's a revelation of Jesus Christ. But then you get to the book, Revelation, and you interpret that as doom, gloom, destruction, death, terrible stuff. Okay, it, It's not terrible stuff. It's a revelation of a person. Okay, And, and I'm, I'm not teaching on all that tonight. I'm just telling you, Revelation chapter 20, 21 is a present and future reality. It's a place that is, that was, and will be. Okay, so let's just see. Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Okay, we can interpret that. Okay, we're looking forward to that day when this crazy messed up, uh, you know, Canadian government and American government passes away. This earth passes away and we get a new one. Okay. Now, we could say perhaps there's a full destiny, a destination of that. Where all of the corruptible world is gone. We got a brand new one that's not corruptible. We got a brand new heaven. We got a brand new earth. Fantastic. That would be an endpoint of a destination. But our destiny in Christ is not an endpoint destination. Our destiny in Christ is both a journey and a destination. So whatever's true in the destination has to be true in the journey. Okay, now I'm going to verify that in these in these words because let's look at these these words. Okay, so I'm not saying there's not a new heaven and a new earth, but I'm also going to tell you that Ted Hansen's had a new heaven and a new earth for 50 years because my old heaven was my conscience. 
or my old heaven could be law. That's the administration of my life. My old life was either a body that was ruled by my conscience or a religious form of tabernacle that was ruled by law. And neither one of those made me new. They only said, you need what's new. So I needed a new administration. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 says that there is an administration. Some translations say there's a dispensation that's been given. I like the New American Standard. It says there's an administration that's been given that's able to sum up all things in Christ, both in heaven and on earth. In other words, there's an administration of grace. Grace and mercy are two different things, guys. Mercy is a judgment, and grace is a gift. Mercy frees you from the law. It's the only judgment that can free you from the law. <laughs> mercy does not live in the world of grace, but people in the world of grace can be merciful. Mercy gets you out of the old earth and out of an old heaven and gives you the right to move into a new earth and a new heaven. Great Mercy is something you boldly come to the throne of grace to receive. You don't receive it at the cross. You receive it because of the cross. Because the blood of Jesus Christ that you receive is not at the cross. It's in the throne room on the mercy seat because of the cross. The cross was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus was the tree of life. The tree of life stretched out his arms, yielded his feet and his entire body on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil could not destroy the tree of life. But the tree of life swallowed up the old wood. One was a family tree of death. The second was a family tree of eternal life. And he took away all the things that held you to the old tree of death. And brought you into the tree of Christ. And he says, now you can every day boldly come. Boldly come. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16. Boldly come to the throne of grace where you can receive mercy. Because you were a little stupid today. <laughs> you, 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 you slipped into an old government when you should be living in a new government. And so you needed a judgment. <laughs> I, believe, I believe in eternal judgment. Okay? But when, if he, when Hebrews 6 talks about eternal judgment, it doesn't say eternal judgments. It says eternal judgment. You ready 